0: Welcome to the Braemar Life Skills Academy podcast. The world is changing faster than ever, and the world of education is too. Advances in psychology, biology, and a whole range of other fields have opened up new lines of thought about the purpose of school and how it can best serve a new generation of students. Join me on the Braemar Life Skills Academy podcast every week to explore these new ideas. In our last episode, I spoke with Ms. Jessica Paul, uh, a teacher here at Bremar who gave a wonderful recap of the activities and programs we've run through the 2021-2022 school year. Very pleased to be joined today by uh, a fellow teacher, fellow staff member, and, and a, I think a fellow appreciator of all things mindfulness and mental health, Miss Rebecca Bitton. We're also very lucky and excited to be joined by a star student here at Bremar, Amira Gilani, joining us from Kenya. Uh, going to give each of them a chance to tell you, them a, tell you a little bit about themselves. Going to start with Amira. Amira, tell the folks at home who you are and, and maybe some of the most important points about uh, your background that we'll need to know in order to appreciate all the wisdom you're going to be firing at us for the next hour or so
1: sure sure i mean i'm always i'm always the one who's picked to speak first in class so this is no problem so hey everyone i'm omira i'm a 17 year old mindfulness coach for kids and teenagers um i study at brain i focus on humanities um i would like to specialize in psychology and then move on to coaching kids who are diagnosed with autism living in kenya is fantastic not like canada where you know most of the year is pretty much winter, honestly, horrible. I don't know how you guys deal with it, <laughs> but um, um, well, I'm pretty happy with where I am. Um, I love what I do. I am a mindfulness coach for teens and kids, and I basically help them cultivate a sense of inner peace, happiness, and unconditional love for themselves and others. I also am a voracious reader, and I love to sing. And I love spending time in nature, which are all very good things, guys.
0: For these and, if you can believe it, other reasons, uh, we've invited Amira on today to talk to us about uh, the making of a mindful life. Also, very excited for Miss Bitten to join us. Uh, Rebecca, would you mind telling the people at home uh, kind of the background, how you got here, and and how your your work connects with those themes?
2: Yes, absolutely. So I'm super happy and honored to be here. Um, I've been at Brain College now for about two years, I believe now. And uh, I have to say, our school is really amazing. Um, Just coming from a a mental health peer support um, point of view, our school is very empathetic and we really have a lot of great principles and mechanisms in which we demonstrate our emotional intelligence and our sincerity and sensitivity to students. Uh, As for myself, I've been in the mental health uh, space for quite a few years now. I do, in fact, have my own lived experience as someone diagnosed uh, with bipolar disorder in my early 20s. And so since then, I've actually been helping with creating a lot of uh, different recovery strategies. I am now actually a mental wellness consultant. So I actually work with uh, a lot of millennials and young adults in helping them to demonstrate and and get a better understanding as to what kind of recovery strategies and wellness strategies they can implement into their daily lives and essentially this is so that they can feel more independent and more empowered um, for their mental health so one of the things i noticed in myself was that there are a lot of resources but it's important that we empower those that are dealing with um, mental health disorders or anxiety or depression Um, And giving them the tools and the guidance they can to help themselves. And so that's actually been the backbone of my style of mental wellness consulting is really just empowering the individual to utilize the tools and strategies that work for them and their needs and their way of life. So one of those is definitely mindfulness. I practice this all the time. Um, I've also been really instrumental with Hope and Me, which was formerly known as the Mood Disorder Association of Ontario. So I'm actually uh, a former president of the speaker series, which we called Peer Talk. So I was uh, instrumental in doing a lot of speaking engagements. I've done some speaking engagements Uh, for the OPSEU, talking about work-life balance and harmony, which is going to be a really great principle for us to discuss today, considering that, you know, work-life harmony is such an important priority for both young adults as well as uh, mature adults, so all of these themes are so pivotal to really empowering us as educators, as individuals, and as uh, mental health peer advocates as well, so very happy to be here. And I look forward to our conversation.
3: Boy,
0: after that, how could you not? Uh, Me as well, very much. Speaking of work-life balance, your life has been dedicated to to exactly what you just described. um, Customized appreciation for individual uh, mental health situations and really meeting people where they are Mm -hmm. uh, to address the anxieties, the depressions, the, the the fluctuating energy levels, and all the different things that, that cause us uh, difficulties as we pursue actualization and, and purpose in this life. Um, but in your work, you've done exactly that as well. So you've you've it's it's a interesting kind of work life balance because it sounds like you are pedal to the metal outside of the nine to five. I know you to be peddled in the metal while we're here in this <laughs> building as well. Um, can you just describe for some of the listeners some of the programs that, that you've been involved in? Because at this point, I think I've pretty much lost track of all the different things that you help out with. Here, <laughs> I, I know the list is extensive. and I'm going to ask the same question to Amira because hers is, is almost as impressive.
2: Oh, that's really nice to hear. So I'll start with the current initiatives that I'm involved in so we are actually working on a lot of um stuff here at Bremer college one of my one of my favorite uh initiatives that i'm a part of right now is the mental wellness and well-being club where we use a lot of different strategies such as journaling mindfulness stress management mood management um really really great platform for us to experiment with different strategies see how they work well with our students I'd love to incorporate uh, some CBT practices that have been really, really effective when it comes to managing anxiety depression, which is really, really riddling all of our uh, young adults. And uh, aside from that, uh, as I said earlier, I've just recently launched uh, my 12-week consulting program, which is really all about giving individuals, specifically young adults, the tools they need to have a heightened self-awareness. So that they can understand uh, which wellness tools they should be working on, uh, I developed this program mainly because, like I say, I've been in the mental health community for quite some time, and I noticed that sometimes we can be so overwhelmed with everything that's being offered in terms of tools, strategies, and resources become very overwhelming. Yeah. So the purpose of my coaching program is to help. Uh, To help people understand which strategies are best for their learning style, for their healing style, for their personality. Uh, So really about knowing themselves, being able to master themselves, being able to understand which coping mechanisms they can really use to keep themselves well. And to have a a really great long-term wellness strategy. So that's what we really work on it's broken up into three parts so it's about know thyself master thyself and elevate thyself are the three major principles of my new consulting program and so we just launched that uh this past month we now have a couple enrollments there and apart from that i've just been helping uh support entrepreneurs who also have uh definitely shown and there's some scientific studies to prove that entrepreneurs battle with a lot of mental health challenges a lot more than the general public Mm. for a lot of different reasons such as financial security um dealing with this kind of ever-ending ambition that can sometimes lead us into some trouble when we're looking to incorporate self-care as a priority of our lives um so really kind of tackling those challenges has been my my priority as an educator as well as a consultant for the last few years
0: Getting to know you, I've realized how lucky we are having somebody who deals with this kind of stuff um, on a professional level outside of the the building, because um, our students are, and I'm going to end up saying this a thousand times over the course of these podcasts, but our students are in this very unique position where some of the forces that are, are I think, most commonly associated with the the, the trouble that you're discussing when we talk about isolation and Mm -hmm. and over-complexity in your life, Mm -hmm. these are more present in the lives of an international student than perhaps in the average population. When you add a COVID situation over the past two years to that already difficult situation, um, we arrive at at a a state where we have students who are very vulnerable. And uh, Amira, you've been going through uh, exactly this situation for these past two years, uh, you've been learning distance, so I've I've had lots of pleasant interactions with you, but they've always been through a screen uh, f- with you in East Africa and me here in Toronto. Um, and isolation and and overcomplexity are are big threats to a student who's learning via distance, who's learning in a new culture, who's learning at, at a different time than than many of her peers. Uh, how have you dealt with that? From the outside, it looks like you've dealt with it with with Absolute aplomb. Like you have, you, you've made it look easy, and you've you've not just been a really stellar student. You've been such a stellar citizen of this school. Can you just talk to us about what that's been like for you and and how you've gotten through?
1: Thank you. It's such a um, such a good question. So I feel like, how do I even begin this? Okay, so I am. I'm social butterfly okay I love interacting with people but I'm also an empath which means that I absorb a lot of people's emotions and then you know I kind of get stuck between am I absorbing this person's emotion or this other person's emotion or is it, it just me is it just my emotion that I'm feeling you know and COVID I feel like COVID gave me a really really great start to understanding who I am you see a lot of us are either extroverts or introverts, you know, we all have that sense of limitation that we have to the capacity with which we are able to take a certain amount of things, you know, whether it's the amount of, you know, homework that we get, the amount of assignments that are piling up, you know, or something as simple as, you know, am I happy, you know, am I healthy, you know, just different kinds of things. So, you know, the way I dealt with isolation was, being a very tech savvy person, I put myself out there. You know, I found out things that I was good at. I started to understand who I really was. I, I was a creative writer. So, you know, I would join certain events that had um, creative writing skills or, you know, certain events that would, you know, allow you to have this interaction between, you know, the way you and I are talking right now, you know. And then, you know, it kind of started like I am building my own community. You know, I have I have never been alone. If I wanted to be alone, sometimes I've never been alone because I have built my network and I've built such a community whereby I know that if I ever needed something or if I ever needed somebody to talk to or to just hear me out, there would be that sense of support, you know, and then with regards to that sense of overcomplexity, Personally, I feel like it's our brains trying to understand something from a very different point of view, from a point of view that is not familiar to us. You know how it is when you are getting out of your comfort zone and that everything familiar is suddenly unfamiliar, everything comfortable is suddenly uncomfortable, you know, and that is to me is what overcomplexity is because you've not become familiar with it, you know, you're starting to under you're, you're starting to feel like, okay, I'm scared. I don't know what this is. This is new territory for me, you know. But once you start to truly understand who you are, you know, whether you are an international student coming into Canada or coming into a different country, you know, whether you are somebody who is new to some other field, it's all about getting to understand who you truly are. And, you know, like Miss Piton said, it's about developing that sense of self-awareness within you that even if you are filled with that sense of over complexity or overwhelm, you know, you are able to kind of manage it in a a way that you are not the one getting affected, that you are using that as an asset for growth. Yeah.
0: What an answer, right? Eh? Um, as ever, you, you seem so self-possessed, and, and I, I, I credit that to the type of self-awareness that you're describing. Um, I want to jump into our, our primary theme here today. We're, we're calling this episode, The Making of a Mindful Life, um, the type of not just self-awareness but authenticity. I think, that you're describing where you really introspect and become aware on multiple levels of things like your level of introversion or extroversion, or maybe your, your level of agreeableness or disagreeableness or any of the other five traits that we often talk about connected with personality. You've identified your level of, of extroversion and, and openness and agreeableness and have used it to great benefit and have been able to keep yourself healthy, productive, and, and not just that, but empathetic, and, and helpful, you've extended beyond yourself. Um, and if, I, if I'm if i right, and I think this is true for all three of us, mindfulness plays a pretty big role in gradually gifting us that type of self-awareness. Um, I wonder if I might start with you, Ms. Baton. Can you just give us your definition of mindfulness and maybe what role it plays in your life? And, and then we'll go back to Amira for the same question.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, it, to be honest with you, if I am to be so bold, I would actually argue that mindfulness actually saved my life in a lot of ways. And that's because I've dealt with so much anxiety that I would always be looking at what's next, what's what, what's next, what's next. It was always about living in the future. I was always rushing myself into the future. And mindfulness taught me how to truly embrace a certain level of stillness, both physically, emotionally, and, and psychologically as well. It allows us to have a a sense of spaciousness in our mind, where we can actually thoroughly acknowledge and embrace our immediate surroundings and our presence. So, uh, before I get into my definition, if if I may, I would really, I think it's worth it to truly understand the origins of where mindfulness came from, because it is a, a. a secular mental wellness strategy today but it actually goes as far as 2500 BC to 1500 BC and it comes actually from a few actually a few different eastern religious traditions so one of them is Hinduism uh, which is exactly uh, the dates that I was telling you about and so they actually talk about mindfulness with the word Diana which actually means contemplation so what this means is that as we are um, embracing and favoring silence and acceptance. What we're really doing is we're accepting things as they are, and we are being present in a way that allows us to embrace and acknowledge that moment. Um, so this is supposed to be instrumental to getting us to what they call uh, samadhi, which is Sanskrit for remembering. So what this means is that we're actually remembering our relationship to the present moment, what they also call the omnipresent moment. And this is actually the gateway to for us to be a, uh, achieving a higher self, a higher self and a higher consciousness. So this was the idea um, in the Hinduist tradition. In Buddhism, it actually goes all the way back to 400 to 500 BC, and they actually see mindfulness as a step towards enlightenment. It's actually the first factor of seven factors of enlightenment, and so their definition is moment-to-moment awareness. And I would say that I subscribe to that definition as well because in my mental health practices and strategies, part of mindfulness was also um, it was also about grounding. So a lot of the time when you are suffering from mental health challenges, you end up to having this, like you said, this over complexity, this scattered mind, where your mind's on so many different time frames and on so many different topics mm-hmm. and experiences at the same time. So mindfulness allows us to actually take notice of things. For example, when I feel overwhelmed as a practical way, I like to take notice of objects in my environment, or I like to take notice of the facial expression of the person I'm talking to. And so that really grounds me, gets me out of my head, and gets me back into my present moment, which is really the only thing that we can truly control. We actually can't control anything else but the present moment. I'll I'll leave you with this one quote that I think is just so poignant. It's actually by Lao Tzu, um, the author of The Art of War for Women. And he said that depression is living in the past, anxiety is living in the future and happiness is really living in the present. And I I see this all the time. I actually use mindfulness as a way of detecting who we are. So we can actually use mindfulness as a way of learning who we are authentically. Because Mm -hmm. if you can actually check yourself and see, am I joyful in this moment? Do I feel alive in this moment? Do I feel anxious? Those mood tracker tools can help us better understand what we enjoy and that can help us understand who we are, what we like, what we dislike, what lights us up, um, and gives us that self-awareness so we can be our true selves.
0: So much there to unpack. Um, Sorry, thank you for, I think no, that's I might beautiful. have gone overboard. But you have given us a really strong foundation to work with. It's just
2: so instrumental in so many different ways.
0: I couldn't agree more. And uh, I, I wish and I hope that these conversations are being had more and more and more, especially in education settings. Because when we talk about the project of education, we're talking about accessing um, ideally minds that are in the present right now mm-hmm. that are receiving uh, information and being creative and problem solving in the moment right now. And if we have students or teachers who are time traveling, right, who are living in the past or, or in the future, right, that I've heard it described as rumination mm-hmm. before um, rather than being in the present moment with one another. I don't know that that education project takes place in the way that we conceive of it. And so what you're describing, as far as I'm concerned, could not be more fundamental to the project of education. Mm. Uh, Amira, did you hear anything there that, that resonated and anything you'd like to add in terms of your definition or your experience of mindfulness?
1: Yeah, I mean, I absolutely love the notion of living in the now. You know, a lot of us are caught up in making these to do lists where, you know, we kind of forget that we are also a priority you know, we also need to be on that to do list. You know, we have 50 million things to do during the day. Honestly, like me, when you have a very hyperactive limbic system, it's very, it's very hard to, you know, do just one thing a day. I, but I hate
3: to
0: interrupt. You don't I know think- what joy it brings an educator to hear the words hyperactive, <laughs> hyperactive limbic system coming from, from a, a grade 11 or grade 12 student. It's amazing that, that you have this, this, this wonderful knowledge of the mechanisms of mindfulness. Good for you. Sorry, go on.
1: Oh yeah, no, I'll, I'll get to how I found out about that later. Okay, it's a very interesting story. Mm, but anyway, time. um, yes, so, you know, I love the notion of living in the now because a lot of us forget that we are human beings and we go on to the notion of being human doings. You know, you make you're going to make a list of stuff you have to do. And on that list, you're like number 50. You're going to prioritize yourself as the last thing when you're supposed to be the first thing, you know, and to add on to what Ms. Bhutan has said is that it's very, very important to live in the now because there are a lot of emotional, you know, there's a lot of emotions that we face during the day, whether it's present emotions, past emotions, or, you know, anxiety about the future, you know, like she was saying. And I am a victim of this. I'm not even, I'm not even going to lie to you. I am somebody who loves to work, but, If my emotions come in the way of my work, I will shove it down and you know, I will not allow those emotions to come back up and I'll just bottle it up until I'm ready. But you know, the thing is, the more you shove it and the more you shove it and shove it and shove it and shove it, it, at the end of the day, you know, you're just hurting yourself because you're not encompassing that sense of mindfulness. You know, it's about living the now, but how are you living in the now? Are you living in the now stressed? Are you living in the now, you know, worried about how you're going to do all of this work and you know how you're going to hand in all of these assignments and then study for an exam that's 15 or 30 percent of your grade and you know you're going through so many emotions at a time you know so I feel personally that mindfulness is about getting to know what emotions you face or what emotions you feel during the day Mm -hmm. because a lot of the time you know There are these subconscious foundations that we live on, you know, up until you're the age of seven, your mind absorbs a myriad of things and that becomes the foundation with which you live with for the rest of your life. And whether you choose to change that paradigm of I'm not enough or I'm not lovable or I'm not worthy, every single situation is going to bring you back to that ideal. You know, and once you start to become mindful, once you start to become steadfast in everything that you do, in addition to your emotions, right, you're going to be able to understand number one, who you are, number two, what your purpose is, and number three, that you are loved, that you are enough, and that you are capable of doing anything you put your mind, heart, body, and soul into. So that is that is what mindfulness is to
0: me. Well said. It's amazing how sometimes the the deepest truths can sound so banal when we say things like love is all there is or um, asking yourself, how do I feel? This can seem so simple. And, and I think when you're not mindful, the assumption is that, of course, I know how I feel. Mm-hmm. I know how I felt yesterday. I know how I felt an hour ago. And I know how I feel now. I know probably know how I feel an hour from now. And if we reside in that assumption, I I think we miss out on ourselves, I think. And and I'm reminded of a quote that I'm going to absolutely butcher by uh, Carl Jung, but he said, um, what you do not bring to consciousness will um, manifest in your unconscious and you will call it fate, right? You will say, oh, it wasn't my fault. I I couldn't have predicted that this was going to happen. It came out of nowhere. When in reality, if you had simply maybe performed a bit of journaling throughout throughout your life and just asked once every couple hours, how am I feeling right now? It would not have been fate, it would have been conscious and you would have been able to have some agency in dealing with that.
2: I was just gonna say I'm really happy we're on this topic because that's actually one of the kind of empowerment tools that I put in my program as well. So I actually find that mindfulness is actually the way that we can um, have greater agency in terms of managing our emotions. So Amira was talking about how she kind of shoves her emotions away. I used to do the same thing, and I found myself it actually made me sick. Hmm. Like it, it's it's actually a sickening effect uh, when we shove emotions. My what I lo- what I always like to teach my students and clients is that as much as society kind of tells us that you know any decision built on emotion is not a a smart one or not a well advised one we tend to kind of give emotions a bad rap cuz it's almost like for example when we say oh you know she's too emotional it's almost given as almost like a almost like a um um, a, a hurdle or disability of some sort to yeah. be too emotional.
0: It can be justification for not taking someone seriously. Right. I mean, how how so, many women in the past have been accused of, of exactly what you just described? Right. Oh, she's, she's hysterical. She's, I know in the past that this has been sort of a go-to rationale, especially for men to not listen mm-hmm. right, or to not take someone seriously.
2: So it's really just about, so mindfulness really allows us to say like, I for example, what I do with my students is I'll have them do mood records and get them to understand, okay, so you just had this interaction with this person. What was the emotion that you felt after leaving that person? Did you feel gratitude for that time together? Did you feel bogged down? Did you feel, so it's really allowing those emotions to actually be more of our navigation tool. I like to think of it as a navigation tool. It gives me almost like a temperature check of what is it that's triggering me? What is it that's not triggering me? Um, and, you know, a lot of us are now realizing that the best way to reach our authentic selves, which really does give us that purpose, does give us that self-improvement, empowerment, confidence, self-esteem, um, the way that we in- do that is by reaching that authentic self where we feel like we're being ourselves. Uh, one of the biggest downfalls that I've seen in the mental health space is when people feel like they've totally lost themselves. Um, and so to reclaim that, that self, that authenticity, we can use emotions as a way of um, navigating who we are. Emotions can actually give us the clues we need to understand what lights us up, what makes us who we are, um, and we can really use that to follow our joy.
0: The journey towards authenticity and perhaps the gates that are opened uh, through mindfulness towards a, a more authentic self and recognizing that genuine self. H- how does that influence you in your studies and in, perhaps in your goal setting and in, in, in your hopes for the future?
1: So, once I mastered who I was, or who I am, rather, um, I developed this unbreakable sense of focus. You know, like, It's about giving what you do your undivided attention, number one. Number two, it's also about putting in 100% of of you into everything you do. Because at the end of the day, you know, I had to seriously sit with myself and ask myself, Amira, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? Amira, who are you? Amira, how do you define yourself? Amira, what values do you portray? You know, so it was this constant um, unfolding towards who I was, who I wanted to be, you know, and how I wanted to portray myself to the world. Now, the first thing that I realized was that, you know how we all want to multitask and then we all have this particular goal that we want to achieve, but then that goal is tied to some other ridiculously high goal and then that other goal is tied to another goal, but it all has the same like you know, it has it has like a capacity with which we, we need to be able to give. Now, one thing I used to do was I would multitask and I would not reach that goal. You know, so I used that frustration again, going back to the emotional literacy of mindfulness. I used that frustration to kind of tap into that creative energy in myself, you know, and ask myself, Is there something that needs to be changed or tweaked? Is there something else that I can do? Can I talk to somebody about this to get a better perspective? Not really a better perspective, but to get another perspective on something, you know? And I channeled that anger and that frustration, and I completely turned it into creative energy, you know, because in essence, everything is energy. So everything is energy. You know, when you go through that vibrational column, you're going to see that, feelings like anger, sadness, shame, guilt all those fall under the lower vibrational states but as you move up the column to creative energy to joy to love to peace to harmony you're going to find that the level of peace that you have and the level of or the ability that you have to do certain things increases you know it's completely like talking about your productivity and efficiency rate you can't be productive and you can't be efficient if you are not feeling well you know and it's the same thing about mindfulness you cannot attain you cannot attain a certain level of consciousness if mentally you're drained if emotionally you're drained if spiritually you're drained and if physically you're drained that cannot happen you know and for me personally i had to seriously 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 sit with myself ask myself why am I getting angry? Why am I feeling like this? What is, what, is, you know, what is the core emotion behind it? Because a lot of the time, and this is something that I learned from Marissa Peer, a lot of the time, it's the feelings of not being lovable, not feeling enough, not feeling worthy to do anything. And that is your core emotion. That is what governs you. And until you transcend those paradigms or until you transcend those limits beliefs, you know, you're gonna be stuck you're going to be stuck wanting to do more in a less amount of time, or you're, going to, or you're going to want to achieve more by doing everything all at once. So, you know, what I did was, again, I know I keep saying I sat with myself and I sat with myself, but it's true. I really did sit with myself and I really tried to analyze and to, you know, to really ask myself that what do I want to get out of this goal? Fine, you know, I may be famous or, you know, I may get publicity. Or, you know, I may get a good grade. But is that really why I'm doing something? You know, is it really, is it really my intention to get famous or to get a good grade? No. What is my intention behind it? My intention behind it is to serve in a positive way, to make an impact in somebody's life. You know, to 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 show my teacher and to show myself that, you know what, dude, I am clever. I can actually understand something and I can actually do this in a particular way. You know? And it's not about It's not about making, you know, everybody else see that, oh, look, Amira does all of these things. It's about making myself see that this is what I'm capable of but I can never be capable of doing so many things if I'm doing them all at once because you're dividing all of your energy. You know how your phone here, your, your phone has like what, 100% of battery when you charge it in the morning? That's exactly how you are. You're going to get a good night's sleep. You're recharged 100% and then you go down like this because you're doing so many different things at once. But yeah, if you learn to divide your time properly and efficiently, the things that you are able to achieve, tremendous and, and, the best part about this is you still have a bit of energy to do whatever it is you want to do after doing all of those things. Yeah.
0: I wish I knew what you know and what you've just expressed so well <laughs> when I was 18. Like how many problems would have been completely avoided and how many uh, uncertainties would, would have been far more comfortable uh, had exactly what you just expressed, had I known that there's really no such thing as multitasking, um, that you can only ever be right here, right now, doing whatever you're doing, that your brain can only be forming certain connections at, at, at once, um, and that the attempt to keep 10 plates spinning, the, the attempt to do everything all at once is probably the fastest way to basically shut down your system, um, completely riddle yourself with with chronic stress and all of the physical and mental um, uh consequences of that, and the, the result is a, a very unproductive person, but I think also a person who's completely detached from their own emotions and their own situation. Um, I, I, I'm quite aware that, though I think the three of us are, are quite comfortable um, talking about mindfulness from a number of different perspectives—personal, scientific, spiritual, um, etc.—that it's not such a comfortable topic for, for others. And especially for those who've never uh, sat and tried to be with themselves, mm-hmm. right? Sit down with yourself and really have that, co- that internal conversation and be aware of it. Uh, it can be quite intimidating and maybe even a bit of a turnoff uh, to hear this discussed with, with such passion and discussed as a solution to this range of problems. For those listeners who may be a bit intimidated... What sort of advice might we give in terms of how to get started? How to how to wade into this pool?
2: So I actually have some practical applications that I've used um, as well, and, and 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 these are kind of easy things you can do um, to practice mindfulness. One thing that I like to teach, even in my English classes, when it comes to things like writing and stream of conscious writing, uh, it's really getting back to your senses. So. Part of mindfulness is also getting back into the body, right? So the thing is, is that what what generally keeps us disconnected is that we often live in our head a lot. And the higher the anxiety, the busier our mind gets, the more chatter we get. And so one thing that I find really, really helps, and this is actually directly attached to the roots of mindfulness, which is kind of yogic methods right the idea of actually getting back in your body moving your body um which is why i believe that exercise is so crucial stretching is so crucial um i know that myself you were talking earlier about taking everything at once i mean i i had i mean that was actually the biggest downfall i had was that i had complete burnout and you know to be Completely vulnerable on camera. It actually landed me in the hospital hmm. because I was completely shut down. I, I completely ignored all the the signals my body was giving me, all the mo- all the uh, psychological signals my mind was giving me. The sleep issues. I really just kind of tossed it away and shoved it away, or or disregarded it and kept going. And I realized that uh, one thing that we can do is. Something that I've learned, like very kind of simple changes was actually moving slower. One thing that I learned uh, in a lot of my therapy groups is that, you know, we always rush through life. You know, we're always rushing to the next meeting. You know, if we're in a meeting, we're on our phones. Like I find that we're losing our, we're losing the value of stillness, right? It's, It's actually, I'm noticing more and more that the slower I move, Both physically, even just slowing down my movements, you know, walk slower, speak slower, um, you know, think slower. It actually takes us farther because when you're running at such a a rapid, fast pace, you're also more likely to make a lot more mistakes, Mm -hmm. which also takes a lot of time and it actually adds to the stress even more. So when you see people that are multitasking a million things at once, Um, a lot of them, I kind of look at them as almost like a, a, freight train, right? It's just like a freight train going at full speed, uh, with no control and no intention. Um, and that could lead you, uh, to a complete shutdown. So definitely moving slower is really great. Uh, it actually slows down the mind. It helps you process things a lot better. Another thing that I also find is, uh, grounding tactics. So some people are very tactile. So sometimes... I've seen people use like stones that they hold on to. Uh, The fidget was something that was really popular because it allows us to realize okay, so how is this chair feeling right now? You know, how am I liking the lighting in this room? What am I smelling? What am I tasting? What am I seeing? Right? Getting back in the body and being grounded is the first step to mindfulness. And then the second step is. Uh, like she was saying, for me, like I like to block my time. So that way, even though I'm doing a million things at once and I have all these other priorities, for the time being, in that block of time, no other time matters. Yeah. you know And that's actually something if you look at first responders, right? If you look at a surgeon, imagine if a surgeon was undergoing an operation and he is, you know, troubled by the argument he had with his wife early in the morning. You're like, imagine what that could do. That could, that could kill someone, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So the presence is is extremely critical uh, for our health. And I think, like I say, coming back to the body, moving slower, and really tapping into our senses uh, is a really great way to start.
0: Yeah. it's, it's what, what you just said that really kind of hit me in the face was, how does it feel to sit in this chair? Mm-hmm. Because I've been sitting in this chair for about forty-five minutes now, and I haven't thought that once, mm-hmm. right? I haven't. I've been really, really invested in, in thinking through this conversation and trying to remember my terminology and <laughs> making sure that everybody is is able to have their say about what they want to talk about. And I haven't been here in this room, right? And uh, I think I probably would at least be less stressed, less nervous, there'd probably be less cortisol and adrenaline running through my system right now. If I had started this this podcast by looking around this room and just identifying objects or mm-hmm. asking myself how my back feels, yeah. Right. grounding, yeah. um, I think of multitasking in our lives very much like triage. And you've just used the metaphor of the, the surgeon, so maybe this is fitting. But in triage, we the, the doctor, uh, usually in wartime, will admit to themselves, the, the premise of triage is that we cannot do all of this. We can't save all of these people. We can't analyze all of these problems. So we are just going to uh, do perhaps the, the most possible by our lights. Mm-hmm. And you miss stuff. Um, and we don't have to go through our lives doing triage mm-hmm. on our problems. I think a great deal of our media culture... Maybe our culture in general tries to convince us that life is moving very, very fast and we must do everything we, we can do to keep up with it. And we must have the newest smartphone as soon as it comes out. And if you're not uh, working two side hustles and still finding time for family and travel and romance and nutrition and, and learning and, and your profession, then you're somehow failing mm-hmm. or falling behind. Mm-hmm. And what a relief to have someone tell you it's only ever now. Mm-hmm. You're, you're only ever here. Mm-hmm. Right, and and it, it's okay to be still.
2: Mm-hmm. Right,
0: mm-hmm. Uh, and how,
2: sometimes that actually takes us farther. Mm-hmm. Like I have actually find that I get more done because I'm not running on empty anymore. Right, I mean it's like it's like a car, right? You can keep going for as long as you can, but eventually it's going to stop. Eventually, you're going to have to get some gas. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I actually find that one of the biggest saving graces at, from where I was you know, being productive before to being productive now is that you, it's it's really appreciating those, lim- those limitations, you know, setting those boundaries and mm. saying, you know what, I only have 12 hours a day, but as long as I make those 12 hours the best they can be, then I'm never going to fall behind, you know, I'm only going to fall behind if I'm running on empty and I'm doing everything with half the energy and half the intention. Yeah. So it's actually sometimes moving slower actually takes us farther more quickly.
0: Um, Important to to constantly remind ourselves and and hopefully remind our students, there's no way to win this life, right? There's no winning and losing this thing. (laughs) Uh, There's an end and and there's you and there's the decisions that you make and the way that you felt during it, but... um, I feel like so much, even within our education system, within the classroom itself, within our assessment structures, is based on comparison, comparison to others, and and asking yourself, am I keeping up with the Joneses? Um, Teddy Roosevelt famously said that comparison is the thief of joy. Amira, how does mindfulness arise in your life? What are the daily practices that you use to make sure that you are staying present and and not living a life of comparison with others, but rather a, a life of contemplation of the self?
1: Okay, so I'm just going to throw many things at you, okay? I'm sorry, but I, I do a for. lot of mindfulness. Hit me. <laughs> okay, all right. So I have a morning routine, okay? I'm up at 5 a.m. every day. 5 to 7 is my mindfulness time. I do not touch my phone. I do not touch anything um, that is going to give me some some sort of human interaction for two hours. In that two hours, I I wake up, I pray. And then, because I'm an empath, I have to do my grounding meditation. Otherwise, I'm gonna go crazy. And then I do another meditation, whether it's you know kind of um, guiding myself or you know talking to myself and you know asking myself, how do I want to feel today? You know, um, what are the goals that I have for myself today? You know, what what kind of what kind of person do I want to portray myself as today? You know, just the general stuff. So I start off with breathing. And then sometimes I'll use a guided meditation, but usually I start off with breathing. Um, breathing is a great way to focus. I'll get back on that later, but I'll start with breathing, breathing and then um, I'll ask myself, how do I want to express myself today? Or how can I um, express myself as the authentic being that I am today? Or, you know, how can I express myself authentically and unapologetically? Or how can I show up and show out for myself and other people? And then, you know, there's just kind of like insights or epiphanies, you know, that might come and then, you know, I'll be like, okay, hey, I might try this or I might try that. Yeah. And then that's the meditation and then breathing back. And then, you know, again, bringing my attention back to the room. Those are the two types of meditations that I do. And then afterwards, I do yoga because I feel like when you have a lot of energy, you need to utilize it properly. And um, for me, I love yoga because number one, it um It makes me more flexible because gosh, if you looked at me like a year ago, I was not as flexible as I am today. Um, And the second thing is, is that uh, it helps me focus. It helps my mind calm down because, you know, you're so focused on doing these different poses and giving your 100% into that, that you forget about everything else. And then there's journaling. Okay. And then that is um, goal setting or setting my intention for the day. Again, what goal do I have today? It's you know basically just making a um, a to do list, but a mindful, intentional to do list. And then after that, I um, I want to say I want I talk to God, but I don't want to make it sound like I'm some kind of universe hippie. But I'm sorry, I am a universe hippie, so yes, I talk to God. Okay.
3: You can only be <laughs>
1: Yes. Okay. That is my morning. Okay. And then, you know, again, mindful eating. So I'll have like a proper breakfast because food is very important. Nobody can survive without food unless you're some supernatural person. Okay. Anyway, food, breakfast, mindful eating, and then studying. Um, and then I sleep by like, I think 11, 12 o'clock max, because I wake up at five. Mm-hmm. But before I go to bed, I have a night routine. Now, my night routine isn't as, um, isn't as comprehensive as my morning routine because, you know, at the end of the day, you're super tired and you don't really want to like, you know, you don't, you don't really have as much focus as you'd like to in the morning. So it's just journaling. Again, this time, instead of intentional um, journaling, it's about how did I feel today? You know, what did I do today? Um, what did I achieve today? Or, you know, what can I do tomorrow that's going to help me achieve what I want to achieve? You know, so it's kind of like unpacking your day. It's kind of, um, for me, writing is amazing. I love to write. You know, I can go like five pages and I'll, I'll look at the time and I'm like, okay, hello, it's bedtime. I need to sleep. <laughs> but, you know, it really, it really helps me with understanding how my day went and how I want tomorrow to go. So that is journaling and then a bit of a meditation and then I'm off to bed. So you see, in, I know it's a very like packed day for me. Um, But even though it's packed and even though it's very scheduled, I still take bits and I still take a bit of time out of my day to stay mindful, whether it's going to the garden and getting off my devices, whether it's talking to a friend, you know, talking to people about stuff really, really helps because, you know, we are innately social beings, you know, you can't just put me in a room and tell me, okay, you know what, you can't talk to anybody for 10 days, I'd rather you just, you know, just, just kill me, because I cannot not talk to anybody, you know. Um, And then it's also about developing, again, that sense of self-awareness within you, you know, how did I feel today? What did I do today that made me achieve my goals? What do I want to do tomorrow? How do I want to show up tomorrow? How did I show up today? You know, so there's a lot of things that I do. I know I do a lot of things. You know, (laughs) a lot of people just get confused when I start talking. But for me, that works. So I feel like because I've been doing this for a very long time, I wouldn't recommend doing everything all at once. It's, you know, starting with one thing. Mm -hmm. Whether you're going to start with, okay, I'm going to do a bit of journaling today. You don't have to write five pages like I do. Even if you write like two, three sentences, that's more than enough. That's progress. That is a lot of progress, you know. And it's about starting with one thing, but Mm -hmm. one thing that you know you're going to make a commitment to.
0: I think that's such fabulous advice and so insightful. Um, A book that has had huge influence, I think, (laughs) on on this realm in general, uh, has been Atomic Habits. Um, And one of the things that I think the author's last name is Cleary. Uh, forgive me if I've got that wrong, but in Atomic Habits, they talk about how do we establish the, the kind of routines that you're describing, which, yeah. admittedly, from the outside, for the uninitiated, can look quite intimidating. Uh, how do we start establishing yeah. a morning routine, for example, or, or let's say, you wanted to become a runner, how do I, how do I get out there and, and start working towards being able to run a few kilometers every day? You do not start your establishment of an amira-like routine by trying to do everything that amira does throughout the entire day you do exactly what you just said you start with the smallest version of that goal that you can think of Mm -hmm. for example if your goal is to be a daily runner to develop that habit the best thing that you can do to start is to make putting your shoes on the win right if you put the shoes on you've you've done your job for the day if you want to start journaling write a single line just open the book, make the time to write a single line, right? If, if you want to be a mindful eater, pay attention to the first bite, right? And this is, you know, I'm not a neuroscientist, but uh, the, the results, I think, uh, of that type of thinking are quite clear. We do not just insert habits like they are full, fully developed solutions into a, a mechanistic um, dynamic. Yeah. Rather, we, we start very, very simple, very unintimidating, and we move from there. Um, yeah. I want to, I want to make sure that we capture all of the wonderful things that you just said, cause we're going to move into really my, my, my main goal for this podcast in just a minute. Um, the different things that you described in your routine individually, and please let me know if I've, I've left anything out here, uh, a morning routine that starts quite early. Um, emphatically does not include a smartphone. So we're not jumping right onto our social media or, or our various communications. Uh, it includes... Uh, In your case, prayer or or meditation, meditative mindfulness. Um, Yoga, so connecting the brain and the body. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, yoga, is it Sanskrit for unity? Uh,
2: So yoga is is actually... It's called moving medica- meditation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's categorized as being moving meditation.
0: Okay. I, f- I forget who said it to me. Someone uh, said that it means unity in, uh, in another language, and that's always been a, a really interesting way um, to view it uh, for me because in the West, I think we have a habit of turning everything into, commercial. in the case of yoga, commercial exercise, right, mm-hmm. rather than a form of meditation and a way to bring, uh, you talked about the vertical column, um, a way to bring all of yourselves into alignment. Uh, to continue, we've got yoga, we have mindful eating, we have um, a journaling practice in the morning that is uh, built around planning and really, again, chunking that day so that we can be present for each part of it. Um, study, gardening, reading, and I do want to say one last thing about reading, um, and then uh, another journaling practice in the evening that's more reflective, asking how do did, how did we do today, how did we feel? Um, I'm assuming that hydration is also a, a pretty big part of, of, this daily routine. I can't imagine you getting through all of this without it. Um, yes. there was some more study in the afternoon and then a, a sleep routine that, that prioritizes a healthy amount of sleep each night. So making sure that we're getting to bed, uh, and giving ourselves enough time for, for our brains to be, to be cleansed of all those waste products we build up over the course of the day for our body to restore and hopefully wake up with maximized energy, uh, the next day. Did I miss... Uh, anything in that very impressive daily routine?
1: No, you did not That was amazing. But I just have to add two things. <clears throat> the first thing is, um, like you said, you want to start running. Put on your shoes and run. You want to start journaling. Open a book and write it, and write a line. But um, I feel like you know whatever. <laughs> whatever goes on in your mind, there's so many different thoughts that go on in your mind that, you know, you start to forget, you know, you're going to say, you're going to procrastinate on it. Let's just use that word. It's very familiar to teenagers. Anyway, um, I would suggest (laughs) yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Fine. Um, I would suggest that if you want to start something, be it running, be it meditation, be it um, journaling, be it going on a walk, whatever it is that you want to start that that you feel will help um, help you develop a mindfulness routine, get a piece of paper, write it down.
3: Mm.
1: After you've written it down, once you've put your thoughts onto paper, you're more likely to do it. And this is scientifically proven.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um
1: no... Sorry, fire thing. away. The second, yeah. Yes, okay. The second thing is once you have this written on paper get somebody to keep you accountable. The chances of you committing to something um, is more likely to happen once you have somebody to keep you accountable. Once you have somebody who is going to ask you at the end of the day, did you do this? Did you do that? Like you said, you were going to do. You know, it's it, it doesn't help the dude who's giving you accountability. It helps you because you are you're starting to develop that sense of, okay, you know what? I need to do this, you know, because somebody else is pushing me to do it. I need to start to push myself to do it. And then you know how Robin Sharma says it takes 21 days to develop a habit and then it takes 60 days to develop something and then 90 days to make it into a lifestyle. You know how you know how it sure. goes, right? But after the end of one month, you'll find that you don't need that accountability partner. That accountability partner was just used as a catalyst to you developing that mindfulness routine. Yeah. Okay. I'm done. Oh, 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 and, and, and don't, don't get like five to six hours of sleep um because I said so, or because, you know, I said, I go to sleep at 11 or 12 and wake up at five. The reason I go to sleep um during that time period is because my body can only take five to six hours of sleep. Mm. So find out how many hours of sleep you need, because if I, I cannot, I cannot sleep above six hours because then my body automatically wakes me up. So find out how many hours you need yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, okay,
2: I'm uh, done. <laughs> I just want to add something as well. Uh, I know that accountability partners has gained a lot of popularity. When you are a person who does not have an accountability partner, you do not have a buddy, or you are alone. Um, there are ways to hold yourself accountable. So one thing that I've I've found that helps as well, definitely writing it down. A lot of us are very visual. I notice a lot of us are, are very visual learners. I actually like to use whiteboards hmm. a lot. Um, one of the biggest things that contributes to our success when it comes to developing a habit that I found as well is even, I, I like the idea of you saying, you know, putting on the shoes is a win. I would actually argue that even if you didn't put on those shoes at all, Let's say, I mean, at this point, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have dealt with depression and it can be really hard even just to get to that baby step. So one thing that can help us stay feeling like we're not failing our mental health wellness strategies, which I hear a lot of of people feel when they're like, oh, yeah, you know, they told me to meditate and I didn't meditate at all. So now I feel terrible about myself. So in order to curb that from happening, and it does happen, we just don't talk about it, is that we have to be able to learn how to behave towards ourselves the way we would a child. If a child didn't do something that we told them to do, are we going to disparage them or make them feel terrible about themselves because they didn't do you know, their gold star chore today? I actually recommend that one of the best ways, and this goes into our reflective journaling as well, is reflect on why you didn't do it today. Like I actually saw, see that part of uh, cultivating self-compassion is also looking at our mistakes and our quote-unquote failures to do things as more of an inquisitive tone. We want to be able to be curious about our failures as opposed to ashamed of our failures. We want to say to ourselves, well, why did I fail? And I don't even like using that word. Why did I not, why did this attempt not work, yeah. right? And I, and I find lots of different excuses. So for example, when I'm looking at, looking doing my own workout routine, I'm asking myself, why don't I ever work out? What is it that's stopping me from that, from that step? And I can say something like, well, I, don't, I have a small apartment, I don't know where I can work out. So I can solve that issue. I can say, okay, no problem. We can make a space for that. Oh, I'm feeling very tired in the afternoon no problem we can find a solution for it so so long as we approach these methodologies and tips with a feeling of compassion and curiosity that's going to get us to continue trying and realistically speaking nobody's going to get it right right away Um, anybody who's building a habit knows that it's a practice and it's a process but the, the name of the game is to stay on the process because it, the only time we really fall off, and this is what happens when people are dealing with diets, you know, we talk about yo-yo dying. The reason why we yo-yo diet or we yo-yo any habit is because we get really good at it and then we slip off and then we feel really bad and we never want to touch it ever again. Yeah. So I find that definitely tracking it helps. Like right now I have a whiteboard in my kitchen with all the daily habits I want to do. And I just casually check them off the days that I do them and the days that I don't do them. And I don't, you know, scrutinize myself for not doing them. I just ask myself, okay, so we, let's say we did journaling three times this week. How can we do it for four times this week? Why didn't we do it on Friday? What happened Friday? If we can create alternatives, solve the problems, get rid of the hurdles, we can continue on this path of progress without any. You know damaging self-criticism that yeah. generally disables any progress that we have
0: it's so important i especially love that idea about uh, asking yourself or, or treating yourself as a child um i think this this demarcation line we've drawn between childhood and adulthood first of all doesn't exist um you, you are uh, changing every single day, you continue to change, and to say that there are these distinct categories of life and that you should be in a certain place by the time you are a certain age can be quite damaging. Uh, I think I look to guys like the, the, the people who came out of the Maslow um, influential sphere, uh, John Bowlby, and the idea of attachment theory, and so many people who are dealing with issues in their relationships, finding uh, no solutions in the adult-adult uh, dynamic, and finding those solutions so readily available the second that they look back to their childhoods and start treating themselves not as something, someone who is separate from that childhood, but who is in the ongoing process, the ongoing development of that childish self. Um, I also love and insist on on uh, speaking this quote as often as possible. Be curious, not judgmental.
3: Mm-hmm. And, and taking
0: taking life, that, that great Walt Whitman line, taking life uh, as a a joyful project mm-hmm. rather than a race that must be won in the in a certain amount of time or with a certain amount of prowess. We're here at Braemar, and at Braemar we're trying to implement uh, a lot of these ideas and values uh, while at the same time providing an education that's going to see our students uh, achieve their, their post-secondary goals, whatever they may be. It could be college or university, it could be the workplace or travel. Um, so we have an academic responsibility or a pedagogical responsibility. We also have a human responsibility. So as we end this podcast, uh, I'd love if we could just do an exercise together. Let's imagine that the, the three of us have been selected as the, the directors of a new academy. We're about to start a school together. We share these values, and, and I, I certainly want to see my students performing Activities, mindful exercises, and routines similar to the ones we've we've spent the last hour discussing. What can we do as educators? How can we design education systems that encourage students to find uh, the type of lifelong authenticity, lifelong curiosity that mindfulness encourages? Amira, what, what do you think? And then I'll, I'll probably uh, let Miss Bitten have the last word on this one.
1: And something that I've learned personally, taking courses as a student at Braymar, is that I have been able to express who I am, the ideas that have been flowing, you know, and I've been able to, you know, conduct research on it. Like I literally did a, a research study on, on something like I think a couple of weeks ago and I was super happy about it because, you know, I was, I, w- I had a lot of joy and pride in doing it because it was coming from the heart because it was, I was being very intentional about it, you know, and I think maybe because, you know, if if we were to kind of implement the normal subjects of English, science, math, whatever it is, I feel like the mind and heart coherence would really fall under the scientific category. Because if you think about it, a lot of people, or not a lot of people, the world today, because it's advanced so much, a lot of everybody wants to see some sort of scientific approval in something you know and once you give them that approval you literally have them wrapped around your fingers you can literally tell them a bunch of stuff even if it wasn't real or if it, if it was super super terrible or whatever but it's scientifically proven so everybody would listen to it i'm not saying this is a bad thing okay this is a very very good thing you can use this to your advantage so if I, I feel may,
0: like I, I think that what you're describing has been termed the, the distinction between science and science ism. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. The, the, there's the, the scientific method, which I think um, most people are, are fundamentally aware of and which is <coughs> is about as reliable as any model we have. But there's also science ism where uh, the the appearance of rationality or even the claim that this is science, right? How many times have we heard that yep. argument in the last few years? Uh, it's science, right? Just that alone yeah. is enough to to move people into their tribes, to break them into their yeah. their, their separate sides, and there's no conversation beyond that, right? It, it really shuts mm-hmm. down the conversation.
1: Yeah, yeah, no. So I'll, I think I think it's you know it's 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 coming up with different programs you know what can i use to focus myself and you know what can i use to reduce the mind chatter whether it's you know focusing on a particular sport you know that that particular that 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 completely envelops your um your emotional release number one number two it develops you physically and number three it helps you to develop such a strong sense of focus. I know I've mentioned focus like a hundred times in this podcast, but you know, I'm so into focus because it's such an important, um, it's such an important aspect of our lives. So, you know, whether it's, you know, focusing on something like how to build yourself physically, or how to build yourself emotionally. If you were to build yourself emotionally, there would be something like, I don't know, creative writing. You know, how are you able to express yourself? How are you able to use what? Is it your left side of the brain that is creative and your right side of the brain that is that has logic? Is, okay. is it that I way or is it the other I, way that, right? that
0: might be the subject for another podcast.
1: Okay, Mas- okay, okay. Master fine. and okay. his emissary. Okay, yeah. But you see, the thing is, once you learn to use both sides of the brain and once you learn to kind of link that to your heart and link that to your spirit or your soul or whatever you want to refer to that as there's a lot of things that you can do you know so whether it's tapping into creative writing because you see the thing is you have to use you have to use the physical tools that you are given, because we are human beings and for us to kind of not use them would be a waste because I personally believe that every single person born on this earth has a unique gift. And it's up to us to tap into what that unique gift is and serve humanity with it, you know, because it, 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 it goes like this. Service to yourself, service to others, service to humanity. Your service to yourself is your baseline. This is where, you know, you start to understand or you start to do these different programs like mind-heart coherence or creative writing, or, you know, being physically active or, you know, being mindful or whatever it is. That is the basis of of your life. That is understanding who you are. And then once you've understood who you are and what your purpose is, you go on to serve others. This is where you start to kind of have meaningful conversations. Another thing, meaningful conversations like this, you know, yeah. they're really important because they get your brain thinking. Like, look, you have you literally see me with the, with the paper and pen because I am literally writing things because I'm getting so many ideas. You know, it's meaningful conversations are a way to kind of, again, express you. Yeah. You know, express who you really are. And then that is now your service to others because you're not retaining all of the information that you've been given or that you've acquired. You're sharing it with other people. And then once you've shared it with other people, you move on to service to humanity. Once you're serving humanity, this is when you start to teach what you know, you know, whether in our school we are going to, you know, train people on how to do certain things or how to, you know, tap into their limitless potential or how to be mindful or how to um, how to attain such a really high level of productivity or, you know, how to how to link the mind, body and soul. Once you've trained them or once they've reached a level to which they are able to channel it within themselves. They start to teach it to others. And what greater service is there than to help somebody else by giving what you already know, by giving your time, your energy, your attention to?
0: How can we integrate all of this, this wisdom, these wonderful things that Amir and you have talked about with us into an education setting?
2: Education needs to always be responsive to the problems of who we're serving. The biggest problems that I'm seeing with young adults um, and teenagers, even younger now, even now like preteens, is two things. Number one, the self love. Even though we boast about it all the time, and it's a very hot button world right now, it's it's really low, and I can tell it's low because generally speaking, when you have a, a child or or a young adult or a mature adult who doesn't have a level of self love. It affects everything. It affects their academic performance, their professional performance, their motivation, their relationships with other students, whether or not they get into drugs or alcohol. This is actually the most fundamental thing that anybody should be working on when they're dealing with any type of service. We need them to love themselves because here's the problem. If they don't get to that first, none of this is gonna matter because they're not going to want to do it because they don't believe they're worthy of that mm. so we need to work there first I would say I find that that's actually the most fundamental thing because like I said you know it a lot of the time in education we look at you know who are the smart kids who are the failing kids but when, as an educator I can actually say through experience that the ones that separate the two are the ones that have a higher opinion for themselves. The ones that have a higher opinion for themselves, they're not smarter than the ones that are failing. They just apply themselves more. And they're a lot more mindful and present as we've been speaking in class. They're engaged. Um, And that's because they've found something that they're interested in, which is why um, in my program I always mention, and even in my teaching all the time, I always remind them, what is your intention? You know, what is your intention? what would you like to get out of this class? Um, And giving them that that sense of agency, and that agency is empowering. Because once we get them empowered, then we can look into how we can leverage these courses and these amazing strategies. But we need to start there. Um, Otherwise, we're building a home on crumbling ground. Um, So it's very important we start there. And I think that one of our best ways to get there the quickest is by having classes on self-discovery, really allowing them to understand, this is my passion. This is what I love doing. We've seen it so many times that when youth are engaged in something that matters to them, their health is better. They are less likely to get into issues like you know teen pregnancies or abusive relationships or drugs or any of these things that really can completely dismantle a, a young person's life. And I have to say that I agree with Amira in the sense that they need to have some kind of service to humanity. I know that myself in my darkest hours, my, my love for teaching really changed me in, t- in so many ways. It mm. was m- one of the sources of my recovery um, was finding that passion and saying, this is who I am. This is what I'm here for. And I think that if we can do that, we also solve the second problem with our youth is that they don't have a hope for future. Right? There's so many terrible things going on in the world that they just feel like the future is just not worth even making. Yes. Um, We need to give them that power back. Um, And I think that that is through self discovery, which is the first thing that I talk about, which is knowing yourself, owning yourself, embracing yourself, forgiving yourself, being compassionate. The people that do really well, these success strategies, we can teach success strategies. We can teach a winner mentality. We can teach executive functioning that boosts self-esteem and confidence. Um, these are things we can teach. Um, but definitely, definitely making them feel like they're worth it and that they have the ability to change the outcome of their lives and the outcome of our world um, would be a great where to start.
0: It's so funny how all of these conversations come back to these same fundamentals. When we talk about well-being, we're talking first and foremost about a foundation of self-love found through belonging, Mm self-esteem as a route to self-actualization. We talk about the realm of positive psychology, finding flow. The, The determination of flow is the recognition that you are participating in a project larger than yourself, that you are working towards something bigger than yourself, folks. I couldn't be more thankful to be joined by, by the two of you today, and I'm already looking forward to our next opportunity to continue this conversation. There's so much more that could be said and unpacked. I also want to say um, to those of you out there listening, if you are somebody you know going through a difficult period, if you are pulling away from friends and family who used to be close to you. If you were having trouble sleeping or sleeping too much, if you are eating more or less than you used to, if you're having trouble focusing or remembering material from class, there are people out there who are excited and passionate about these topics and are ready to help take that first step. Okay? Tell somebody. Raise your voice. Let someone know what you're going through because you're not alone. And there are resources out there more and more each day ready to help you. Thank you for listening. This has been the Braymar Life Skills Academy. Excited to join you next time. Thank you, Amira. Thank you, Rebecca.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: And please join us for our next episode, where I'll be speaking to Miss Nicole Boyce, the art director here at Braemar College, about creativity and how it informs the lives of our students.